we are continuing our series on faith at work, and we are talking about faith at work in our emotions today. And so if you have your Bible or you have a version app or whatever the case may be, if you want to turn with me to James 3, I promise I'm not going to jump around a ton today. We are going to be in James 3 all day. Alan and I were joking earlier this morning about the fact that we may stay in James 3, but God may want us to take Genesis to Revelation, right? So we don't know exactly what we're going to do for sure. James 3 is where we're going to post up and see how it works. All right, so James is by far my favorite book of the Bible. And why is that? Because it's one of the hardest books in the world for pastors. Because James talks a lot about those of you that are elders and pastors are going to be judged doubly from everyone else, right? And James I love because James was the brother of Jesus, as Kurt mentioned last week. And so before we start today, I want to just give you kind of a quick rundown of why I believe what I believe, and why I believe that Jesus is who he says he is. How many of you guys have siblings or have had siblings over the course of your life? Right? Me too. Okay, so I have a brother and two sisters. Um, They are much, much older than me, which I love saying all the time to them. Um, But we had awesome family gatherings when we were kids. Did you guys also have those? How many had, like, really good family gatherings? Thanksgiving, Christmas, family reunions, whatever the case may be, right? I don't get to see them as often because they're all in North Carolina, which is where I'm from, but when we had those reunions and we had those moments, they were incredible. Now, I want you to picture that you were at one of your family events, whatever that may have been. It doesn't matter to me if it was Thanksgiving or Christmas or a birthday or whatever, but you're all sitting around the table, and let's say you're, I don't know, 12, 13 years old, and all of a sudden, your brother looks at you and says, hey, P.S., I'm the savior of the world. Did you know that? Did you know that God's my dad? Did you know that I am going to bring about all of the wonderful and great things that have been prophesied? Now tell me how many of you guys would believe your brother or your sister? Not a single person, right? That's a nut job. I'm not talking to you anymore. Like, you're crazy. But that's James, guys. James grew up with Jesus. He watched Jesus as he did every single thing that he did over the course of his life. And so for me, if you were my sibling, it would take a whole lot to convince me that you said, or you were who you said you were. And so I love James because James gives me peace in knowing that if anybody could be proven right, it had to be Jesus. Because James had to deal with him through all the things, right? Fighting over toys or whatever it is that they were doing at the time or dad's hammer because they were doing carpenter stuff. Whatever the case may be, James had to be proven even more than someone else may have. And that's why I hold strong to my faith. Because I know that it's been proven. And so I want to jump into it. Let's get into James 3. We're going to go to James 3, 2 first. It says, for we all stumble... In many ways. I want to just focus on that for a second. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to rein in the whole body as well. We all stumble. So here's the good news, right? We are all in this together. And guys, I will remind you every time that I ever have the opportunity to speak to you is that I am not speaking from a platform at you. 
I am speaking from this place because they make me stand up here, but I am speaking to you in a position of we are all in this together. I am no better than you. I am no greater than you. I honestly probably don't know more than you. I am struggling with the exact same things that you struggle with every single day. In fact, the messages that God gives me on the subjects that he provides are typically ones that I am struggling with the absolute most. Amen? He just allows me to be a page ahead sometimes so that I can convey what it is that he's doing in my heart and hope that it does something in yours. All right? Let's keep going here. Slide, uh, this next slide is going to be James 3, 5. It says, so also the tongue is a small part of the body. So this is the thing that I really want to focus on with you guys today because it's going to get into everything that we talk about with our emotions, right? Is the power of the tongue and how powerful the tongue is. It says, so also the tongue is a small part of the body and yet it boasts of great things. It is the smallest part in a lot of ways, right? Like we're not talking about the bones in our hands and feet, but the tongue is one of the smallest muscles that we have. And so my question is, is why do we allow something so small to have such a large impact? It's so small, and yet it controls everything that we do. It controls our reactions to friendships. It controls our reactions to certain emotions. Sometimes we let it fly without even thinking. If you're like me, that happens more often than you'd like to admit. But that's what the tongue does to us. You know, in this, I can remember as a kid being told all the time that the tongue was the strongest muscle in the body. Anybody else ever heard that? Yeah? That's a myth, right? Like you learn as you get older that that's a myth. But here's what I did learn. One of the things that people use to say that the tongue is the strongest muscle in the body is the fact that the muscles in the tongue never fatigue. So like muscles that you would normally work regularly, right? Your biceps, your triceps, obviously I'm not working those all the time. Clearly, you guys can see me up here. Um, but when you work a muscle regularly and it fatigues, it starts to have to need rest and rehabilitation. But the tongue doesn't need that because it doesn't fatigue out. And here's the thing, I think that when we hear that, we go, great, that gives me the opportunity to say a ton of things and everything that I need to and all of that good stuff. And here's the issue, is that sometimes, and more often than not, we use the tongue with no fatigue to just continue to curse other individuals or to continue to bring up all the negativity and the downsides in our lives. And yet God gave you a muscle that did not fatigue because he intended for it to bless regularly. He intended for you to not have to fatigue that muscle because he wanted you to exhort and bless and just praise other people and him and worship. And we've taken that ability and manipulated it to make it what we want rather than what he wants. And so James goes on to talk about the tongue in verse 6. He says, And the tongue is a fire, the very world of unrighteousness. The tongue is set among our body's parts as that which defiles the whole body and sets on fire the course of our life and is set on fire by hell. He says the tongue is a fire. You know, the beautiful thing 
about who Jesus is, is that although we are told that we cannot tame the tongue, Jesus is perfect in being able to temper the tongue. Most of us have zero patience, right? We want to just say whatever we want to say as fast as we want to say it. God has given us the ability to kind of just reflect, right, and process before we speak. And so what he does is he allows us not to tame it necessarily, but to temper what it is that we're going to say so that that fire may not be as strong as we think it needs to be. And that's the beauty of who Jesus is, is that he knows that we can't tame it, but he's going to give us the ability to temper it so that we don't have to say the things that we want in the darkness of our heart. He gives us goodness and wonderful things, and he allows us to process and then speak before we make a mistake. I have one of the hardest times with this, and I think it's because I've got that little bit of anger that rises up more often than not, right? And so you have to look for things in order to temper that in some way. And for me, I think that what I see it in, more often than not, is my relationship with my kids. Amen? Don't act like you don't do that too. I have four kiddos. 13, 10, 8, 6. My 6-year-old still thinks I'm awesome. It's great. My 8-year-old, he doesn't really care, but he just likes Legos and video games. My 10-year-old thinks I'm still cool because we get to play sports together all the time. And my 13-year-old, I'm pretty sure, hates my guts. I don't know why, but she hates me. I'm just kidding. My my daughter is beautiful. She's wonderful. She's awesome. But what I've realized is, is that she is growing into a position in her life where she doesn't need me as much. And I think for me, that's depressing, I think is the best thing to say. And so what happens is, is when she doesn't need me and she wants to push away, I want to bring her closer and I want to bring her closer. And as she continues to push because she's just got this independence and she's so wonderful and she's so smart and she can do all these things by herself, that depression then turns into anger for me because I can't express what it is that I want to say to her because that's just not the cool thing to do as a dad. And I've got to be the guy that's over top of everything. And so then that anger comes out quickly, right? And that's not who God intends for me to be. God intends for me to take this muscle that doesn't fatigue and to tell her how wonderful and incredible and loved she is, how valued she is, to let her know that she is fearfully and wonderfully made in his sight and that because of that, I love everything she does. But what comes out is, why won't you just hang out with me? Why won't you just give me a hug? And then it becomes, I have to embarrass her when she walks into school and roll the window down and scream, I love you, as loud as I possibly can, because I want all of her friends to know, right? And God doesn't need that either, right? He needs, he needs me to tell her how much I love her, but not embarrass her, right? So let's keep going in this. We're going to continue in James. James says, but no one among mankind can tame the tongue. We've learned that. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. And here's what gets me the most, starting in verse 9. With it, we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who have been made in the likeness of God. From the same mouth come both blessing and cursing. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be. 
What I love about James in this passage specifically is that James is telling us, look, we understand that your tongue cannot be tamed. The issue is how you use it and what you do with it. And so he says, from the same mouth come cursings and blessings. And this shouldn't be. And I think when we hear this, our first instinct is to say, well, yeah, this is how we view other people. And here's what I'm going to tell you is that that same advice applies to how you speak to yourself. Because I think that there are many of us in this room who would say, my issue is not how I talk to other people. My issue is how I speak to me. In those lonely moments, in those intimate places in your life, when the enemy creeps up to provide lie after lie after lie after lie in your ear, what the responsibility that you have is to push that off, to listen to what God says, and then to speak truth and peace and love into your own life. And we have the hardest time with that. And I say we because I'm the worst at this. You know, up until last week, I was actually the family life pastor employed here. I was part-time. And I was working another job in business development. So I was doing marketing and sales for a company, and I was the vice president there. And then about three months into this job, four months into this job, I get a call from the owner of my company who has another company. And he says, hey, you've been doing so good with what you're doing as the VP. I would love for you to come over and be the chief executive officer of this other company. And I looked at my wife, and I was like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know if this is a good decision. I know that God is kind of pursuing and pushing full-time ministry back into my life. For those of you guys that don't know, I was a pastor for about seven years at a large church um, in this area. Um, and got out of ministry because it was just overwhelming for me. I was spending 80-hour work weeks and all that good stuff. And so I felt like God was moving me back into a ministerial position, and I wanted to do that desperately but I felt like I could not pass up the opportunity to become a chief executive officer for a company that I also love. And so Kurt and I met and we had lunch and Kurt said, hey, how are we gonna work this out? And I said, I'm just gonna keep doing it and we're gonna be okay. And he went, okay, let's see how it goes. And so I was working 15 hours here and I was working about 50 at my other job. And then I said, hey, you know what, can I just do 10 hours here? And he was like, yeah, 10 sounds good. And then I said, you know what, I, I'd even go to five. Could we do maybe five? And then we can give those hours to somebody else? Because there was that part of me that just longed to hold on to something great here. And Kurt finally was smart enough to have a conversation with me where he said, look, man, I think that you need to go to volunteer. Because I think that you cannot give the amount of time that I know you want to give to this. And I'll be honest with you, that's the moment that the enemy started to circulate in my head, right? Because what started to happen is he started to tell me, I told you that you couldn't do this. I told you that the time was never going to be right again. I told you that you're not worth this. I told you that you weren't strong enough for this. And you start to believe those lies. And you start to push that into yourself further and further and further, where you start to tell yourself, you're absolutely right, I'm completely unworth any of this. I'm not ready for this. 
I'm a failure because I couldn't do both things. I'm not going to be successful in what I'm doing in the business world because I couldn't meet the requirements in this world. And I know that I'm not alone in that. In fact, let's get real vulnerable with one another. When the pandemic hit, I was in a completely separate position, but I had been out of ministry at that time for about two years. I had had a really difficult time understanding what it was to not be a pastor at a large church anymore. In fact, I had had such a hard time that it was hard for me to find another job because there was no peace for me and what I wanted to do. And so as a pastor who had left, who had resigned, you immediately get overwhelmed with feelings of failure and with feelings that you just weren't right for the position and that you weren't prepared and that you got overwhelmed because you just weren't the person, you weren't the right fit for the job. To the point, guys, that I had to go and see a physician because I knew that I could not get myself out of whatever this hole was. And when I saw that physician, she said, you know, I think we should try some medication for you. And I'll be honest with you, right? Like in my head, I went, I don't know, like I feel like I just need to pray more. Like if I just, if I just pray more um, or if I just talk to my pastor more or if I just do that, right? Because this is who we are as people is that when a problem starts to intercede in our life, what we do is we immediately go, I can solve this on my own. Right, as men, we're told that we have large shoulders so that we can bear the brunt and the weight of all of these things. And so we want to just throw everything on our back and just take off with it. And my doctor said, you know, I just want you to take a quick little quiz for me. And you just tell me kind of what, just answer these questions for me. And so it was five, six questions. I answer all the questions and she goes, Brian, I got to be honest with you. You are textbook major depressive disorder at this point. She said, and I think that maybe some of it could be from the pandemic, but I think that some of it is just from the vast life change that you've had. And I, I went, okay, let's, let's try it out. And so since I've been on that medication, it's allowed me to temper my emotions in the same way that God allows me to temper my tongue. And so there may be some of you in here that are struggling with depression in the same way that I was and am every single day. And you have those days where those, those thoughts and those horrible negative emotions and feelings just overwhelm and overtake you. But what I want you to know is that there are so many solutions to assist you in taking care of your mental health whether that be medication, whether that be therapy, whether that just be an incredible small group who loves and cares for you. A pastoral staff that wants nothing more than to pray over you and with you. There are so many, so many wonderful, wonderful things that God is providing to you every single day to help you temper those emotions and temper those negative thoughts. You have the ability, guys, not to tame your tongue, not to tame all of the emotions, but to temper every single one of them. So James goes on to say, verse 13, 
Who among you is wise and understanding? And you immediately go, I, I don't know. And it says, let him show by his good behavior his deeds in the gentleness of wisdom. You know, how many of you guys have ever coached uh, a little league or peewee team or football, soccer, something like that? How many of you guys? Right? Raise your, hey, be proud of it. Seriously, raise your hands. Like, this is a big deal. Um, you guys know the frustration that comes with that, right? And you know for a fact that if you coach your child that there's that small sliver of you, right, that is doing this because you're like, I never made it pro, but they sure are, <laughs> right? So that, that vicarious living through your kid comes out hard in your coaching ability, right? And so you start to say, look, I don't know what you guys are talking about. My son, starter, all day. Doesn't matter what's happening. He's the greatest player on this team. My daughter, best possible player on this team. There is no way that anybody's starting over him or her. And then the first time that it happens, you immediately go, well, this coach is crazy. And I don't know what he's doing because my baby is the best. And I've been privileged to be able to coach my son. He's at an age now where he doesn't really want to hear from me as often because he thinks he knows everything, which, to be honest, he's much smarter, better looking, and far more athletic than I've ever been in my life. Um, but I get to coach with some incredible people. There's a guy that I get to coach with specifically, and his name is, his name is Coach Daniel. And I think that God has this incredible ability when you are dealing with negative and hurtful and horrible emotions in your own life, and when the enemy is speaking all of these negative lies into your ear, God is so wonderful in that he provides you with people who you need desperately to remind you of how incredible he is, right? There are certain people in this world that when you see them and you react to them and you get to speak to them, you see Jesus in who they are. Daniel could have never said a word to me. And I would have known without a doubt that that man follows Christ. And not only does he follow Christ, but that his love of Jesus is spread to everyone that he encounters. You know, last season I didn't have the ability to coach. And I saw Daniel and I was like, man, this guy is incredible with the offensive line. He really loves these kids. I'm really curious as to which one is his. And so as I started to speak to Daniel, I found out Daniel doesn't even have a child on the team. Daniel got hooked in, I think, because of his nephew. But Daniel stuck around because he saw how he, he impacted these kids. He knew in the same way that I know that some of these kids are desperate for a father figure who loves and can guide them, and that simply by being there for them, he could speak life to them through who Jesus is. It's an amazing thing when you have somebody who is that gifted, who is that blessed in their relationship with Jesus, that they say, you know, I don't have any major reason to be out here apart from the fact that I love what I do and I love these kids. And so when I read this verse and I say, who among you is wise and understanding? And then James says, let him show by his good behavior, his deeds and the gentleness of wisdom. I say, that's, that's Daniel. That's not me yet, but I'm working towards it. But that's Daniel. 
Because Daniel doesn't have to say a word, but he shows me by his good behavior, his deeds, and the gentleness of his actions that he is wise. So far beyond where I am. Because I get out on the field and I want to yell and blow my whistle and I want to kind of jack around and, you know, push kids on the shoulders over and over again to get them to smile and whatever. I want to play around, but Daniel is giving them life lessons. He is providing them with love that some of these kids will never get in a totally different way. He is not a father of a child on that team, but he is a father to every child out there. I'm so glad that God brought me Daniel. Because God has shown me through Daniel what I can be. And that, to me, is what I needed. In the midst of the negative talk, in the midst of everything that the enemy wants to lie about, God brought me someone to say, look, man, there's a better way. And he didn't even have to say that to me. He just had to model it. And for so many people in this world, that is who you are in their life. And you may not know it. I've never mentioned that to Daniel until today because I begged him to come to church this morning. He has his own church. And I think he actually taught this morning and then came to come see me because he loves me enough that he said, I'm going to book it from one church to the next because I just want to be there. But Daniel has shown me so much about who it is that God calls me and wants me to be. And for some of you in this room, that's who you are to somebody else in your workplace, in your family. Whatever the case may be, you are the example to them. And their emotions right now are dragging them down regularly, and yet your positivity and the light that you radiate shows them that there is something greater in this world. And they ask themselves, how do I get more of that? Guys, that is what witnessing looks like, right? I think sometimes we have this feeling that we have to talk all the time about who Jesus is in our life, and yet Jesus can tell you, look, if you can just behave in the way that I have called you to behave, others will see that and just want to know what it is. How do you deal with the things that you deal with in your life, the loss in your life, the financial struggles, the emotional instability, all of the things that you face every single day? How do you do that? And you have the ability to then go, I don't. Jesus does. And your emotions change drastically when that realization happens. When you understand that you have been given grace freely and unconditionally, your life changes magically. Guys, I had a pastor who was a mentor of mine that used to say constantly that hurt people hurt people. Saved people save people. Blessed people bless people. What I had to start doing, guys, was, and I had to talk to Kurt about this multiple times, but I had to revamp my thought process behind everything that I did because all I could see was my job is overwhelming, my life is overwhelming, my family is overwhelming, everything is overwhelming. And there was a switch that I had to flip at some point that said, no, every single thing that you have in your life is a blessing. And so every morning that I wake up, I say, thank you, God, number one, for air in my lungs, because it's not promised, and you gave it to me, and today is a great day. And then I say, thank you, God, for my job, because it's not guaranteed, and you give it to me, and it allows me to provide financially for my family. 
I say thank you, God, for my wife, for the constant battles that she faces in dealing with me. But even more than that, Father God, for the fact that she is a caretaker of our home, that she provides for us, not just at the house, but financially as well in her own full-time position. Father, thank you for my children, for their constant, constant, constant activities because they allow me to spend more time with them. Father, thank you that I have a day to do something decent. I never say anything great, right? Because I know that I'm still working towards great. I'm okay, but I'm trying to get to that great. But Father, thank you for the opportunity to just do something good today. Let's keep going in James. This is verse 14. It says, But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your heart, do not be arrogant and so lie against the truth. The wisdom is not that which comes down from above, but is earthly, natural, demonic. Hear this. For where jealousy and self-ambition exist, there is disorder and evil in everything. Where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there is disorder and evil in everything. So just as a side note here, if you have bitter jealousy in your heart, that's called being a normal human being. Okay, so let's go ahead and relax there. If that's where you're at in this place and you say, hey, this is me. I have bitter jealousy in my heart. Great. We're all in the same boat. Grab an oar. Let's row together. Okay, we're all in the same place. God does not intend, though, for disorder in your life. He is not intending for you to have chaos in your life. Again, his intent is always positive and good. He wants you to take things that he has given you and use them to bless and to make things better rather than focus on the negative and continue to just dwell in that place. Guys, James is saying that if you have that selfish ambition, this is not wisdom, and he wants you to be wise. He wants you to be able to discern things and to continue to move forward in your life into a much better and positive place, and you have that ability through Jesus Christ. And guys, here's what I'll tell you. The moment that I learned how gracious and merciful God was was the moment that I started to change who I was. And when was that for me? I was 26 years old and my mom passed away of a massive heart attack. Totally unexpected. At the same time, my father was diagnosed with metastatic prostate cancer and I knew that he had at a maximum five years to live. I became his caretaker for the next year and a half and he passed when I was 28. At 26, when my mom passed, I lost it. I can't do this anymore. This isn't who I want to be. I don't know about anything of the church. I can't imagine that God is loving and cares about me, and I walked away. And my pastor at the time said, Brian, when your daughter throws a temper tantrum, what do you do in a store? Do you coddle her and tell her how wonderful she is? And I'm like, no, man, she's embarrassing. I'm not trying to do that. <laughs> and he goes, exactly. You walk away, right? And he goes, I'm not saying that God is walking away, but what I am saying is that he's standing in the same grocery aisle and just watching you throw a temper tantrum. 
And what he says to you is, when you're ready, you come and talk to me. For some of you in this room, I think that's where you're at today. I think that you've said, I don't know that I can do this anymore. I haven't had the prayers answered that I wanted answered because you haven't heard the answer that you thought that you should get. God's still answering in the way that he needs to answer. And yet you've said, I've got to walk away from this because it's not giving me the outcome that I want. Because we are a generation and a people who want immediate gratification, right? And what I want to say to you today is, stop letting those negative thoughts intercede. Guys, God is in the same place where you left. Don't allow your human emotions to dictate the relationship that God wants for you and with you. See, I was jealous because other people had their parents still, and I didn't. And I was so angry about that. I was so angry about that. And I didn't know what God's plan was at that time. But I think that God saw in some ways that there was something else for me to do and in holding on to everything that I wanted to hold on to as a child, I couldn't get to the place that I needed to be. And what I'm telling you is there's a plan behind all of it and we may not understand any of it, but there's a plan behind everything for God to push you into the place that you need to be so that you can continue to execute what it is that he needs you to execute. So let's finish up a little bit here. James 3, 17 to 18 says, But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, reasonable, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial, free of hypocrisy. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. Hear that. It is sown in peace by those who make peace. Let me ask you this. In your workplace, when you go tomorrow, do you feel like that that workplace is sown in peace by those who make peace? Right? Because what happens? We get that special email from that special person that we know we cannot stand. But Jesus says, love them. And they send you that email that says, per our last conversation or pursuant to our meeting or per our last email and then there's this diatribe of all the things that they don't like about you, right? And you immediately write this three-page response, right? Telling them all of the ways that you wish that they would maybe change some things. And then you highlight and delete, right? And then it's Thank you so much for bringing this to my attention. Have a wonderful day. Kindest regards. Your name, right? Why? Because God tempers what it is that you want to say into making it something that can be edifying and better and more beautiful for that person, right? Because the response that you have to that individual is showing them that there is something so much greater in you than they currently have in their own life. 
that Jesus calls you to respond to them in a way that gives them peace and tranquility and that you don't engage in the battle that they want to set before you, right? That your words can be kind. That you can treat them with kindness because God tempers all of it. So I want to go back to that. Sown in peace by those who make peace. And so this is my big question for you today. So are you making peace? Or are you tearing yourself into pieces? Where are you at right now? In your heart, sitting here. And I don't know the struggles that you have. I don't know where your heart's at. But I can guarantee you that God does. And he wants to bless you in innumerable ways. But you've got to end that negative self-talk. And you have to inflow all of the good words that Jesus has for you, that God has for you in his word. Because there's some amazing stuff held within that text to just give you guidance and direction and love and peace. And my hope is, guys, that if you do not have a relationship with Jesus, that today would be the day. And this isn't a, this isn't a like, let me give you some insurance for death or any, that's not this, this push. Here's my push for you. I want you to engage in a relationship with Jesus because I know that engaging in a relationship with Jesus changed my life drastically. My life is not perfect. My life is not great every day. I struggle every single day. But God grants me peace and grace and mercy and forgiveness. And God brings me people like Daniel de la Cerda who says, look, there's a better way. There's a place for you here. There's a love that Jesus shows that you can't match, but you can bring that love and give it to someone else. Guys, life is beautiful because Christ makes it beautiful. In the dark times, in the worst times, Life can still be beautiful. And if you're struggling today, I'm going to go ahead and ask the prayer team to come up. If you are a part of our prayer team and you are someone who is prepared and trained and ready to pray for someone, I'm going to ask that you come up and you stand up front for me. And here's why. I think that most times what happens to a lot of us in this room is that we know for a fact that we need prayer in this place. But we are terrified of what that means to admit that and to come up and to talk to someone else about it. And here's what I'm going to tell you. To have that relationship and to pray with God, you don't need any of these individuals, but they are here because they care about you, love you, and want to bless you. These are people who are saying, yes, please come and have a conversation with me. I know it's hard, and here's what I'm going to ask of you today. I'm going to ask for you to be brave, all right? in the smallest form. I'm going to ask that as your brain is telling you, no, your legs don't work, that you say, yes, they absolutely do, and you stand up and you come for prayer if you need it, okay? Because there's so many of us in this place that need it. I am so glad that we have pastors and staff and volunteers who want to do nothing more than cover us in prayer. I am grateful beyond measure for that. I am grateful beyond measure for you that you came here this morning 
in the midst of the eight million other things that you had to do, you were here. And I hope, I hope that God spoke to you in some way. So let me pray with you. And if you need prayer, you come, okay? Father God, I just want to thank you for today. I want to thank you, Lord, again for the air in my lungs. Father God, that is not a guarantee. And you gave it to me and you gave it to every one of us in this room. And we are going to use it to the best of our ability in whatever it is that you have called us to do. Father, thank you that you have faith at work in our emotions. Lord, that you are in control of all things, despite the fact that we want to pretend like we are and tell ourselves all of the things that we need to do or what we want or where we should be. Lord, that you are directing our path in one way or another to get us to the place where you need us to be. Father, thank you that I don't have to control that. Father, thank you for the people in this room who are desperately seeking you and what you have for their life. Father, thank you for Daniel. Father, thank you for the people that impact our lives in incredible ways and who may never know it. Father, I ask that you would allow us to be brave. Father, that we would speak blessings over our friends, that we would catch people doing good in every single aspect of our lives and that we would consider releasing that need to catch them doing bad. Lord, allow us to edify and glorify and to say wonderful and amazing things because every person that we encounter is someone that was fearfully and wonderfully made by you. Lord, we will never lock eyes with someone who you don't love. Father, allow us to be your hands and feet and to continue to push forward for you each and every day. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. And all God's people said, Amen.